The Formula One calendar takes all 20 drivers to Brazil this weekend. Red Bull has won nine straight races on its way to both the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships. But there's rain in the forecast in Brazil. Could we see an unexpected winner this weekend? All this and more on Unlapped. I thought Miami's ticket prices were outrageous. This is on a different level. I thought it was funny <laughs> as I said it, and I was like, actually, that's terrible. But never mind. It's out there now. It's recorded. It's out there. The track visibility uncertain. <laughs> that's even, that's even more. I don't think you should be able to sell a ticket that with yeah. visibility uncertain. Yeah. Welcome to Unlapped, an ESPN F1 show. I'm Katie George. He's Lawrence Edmondson, and that's Nate Saunders. How are you both, Lawrence? I'll start with you because you've been on the road for five weeks. I hope you've gotten some much-needed rest. Yeah, it feels a little bit strange to be at home for an extended <laughs> period of time. And I'm not going to Brazil either, so usually this time of the week I'm packing a bag or getting on a flight and going. And uh, that's not the case. But um, it's a shame because Brazil, um, we'll talk about it later, but hell of a brilliant race. You know, It's just such a cool place to go, such a cool circuit. It feels like a proper old-school place. But um, yeah, instead, it's, uh, it's a little bit of time off. Well, not off, but we'll be covering the race from London and then go to Abu Dhabi for the final race. And then we actually will have time off. It will be the winter break, which would be nice. Yeah, it does start. It's starting to feel like winter because we came back from the UK and it is getting like proper UK temperatures now. So, yeah. So I think at this time of year, Lawrence is right. Usually you're getting on the plane and you know where you're going to get off the plane. You can wear shorts again. Not the case here. So uh, that's been a bit. It's been a bit of a culture shock getting back here. But um, but yeah, like you said, it's nearly the end of the season. And it feels like that bit where we're all like, it's like the final days of school, you know, at the end of term when you're like, mm. oh, we're nearly done. So um, so yeah, but a lot of stuff for us to talk about. It's nearly done, but you already know the final grades, unfortunately. So it doesn't make it all that <laughs> exciting. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment on what you want to see more of. And don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's hit some news off the top. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Daniel Ricardo, who we thought maybe was going to take a, a sabbatical for a year, 
he potentially could be heading to Mercedes as a backup driver. What do we know? How true is this rumor that's circulating at the moment? There's certainly some some like real truth to the to the talks. They've definitely been in. I think that these have been going on for a little while now, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's interesting, I think, is that um, what's potentially stalling it is Ricardo talking to Red Bull. Uh, Ricardo's uh, represented by CAA, who also yeah. uh, well tied in with Red Bull as well on 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 um, some some various things there. So I think there's a few things at play, and I think that a reserve driver role for Ricardo seems to be what he and his team want to do to kind of keep him fresh, keep him in the paddock when he needs to be. Uh, interestingly, from what I understand, both roles would be a little bit different. So Mercedes would be pretty all-encompassing. He'd be kind of expected there a lot of the time, whereas the Red Bull one might be, he might be sharing it around with other drivers, is what I understand. Um, but I think clearly they don't just want him to disappear for a year, become a TV guy, uh, or, or at least solely a TV guy. I think he's going to do uh, a few things here and there. Um, but I think that they're worried, from what I understand, they're worried of becoming kind of a, uh, you know, Nico Rosberg figure or somebody who, once they've stepped away immediately, you see them as they're no longer a racing driver. They are somebody that's a TV talent. I mean, it's not a perfect comparison. Rosberg walked away and retired officially, mm-hmm. but he very quickly became a you know TV guy after that. Uh, and I think it's actually it's actually a pretty good um, thing of them to do because when Fernando Alonso stepped away for a year. We didn't really see him in the paddock in any kind of role like TV or anything. He was still racing. So you still associated him with he's still an active racing driver. So I think they're just wary of that. The Mercedes one seems the most likely link from what I understand. Um, and just as an added bonus, uh, Ricardo has been giving George Russell and Toto Wolf basically all of his merch over the past <laughs> few days. So I don't know whether those two things are linked. I think genuinely Russell just wants to, or, or Russell George, as, as Ricardo calls him, just likes wearing that stuff. But um, but yeah, it certainly seems like all, all the things we're hearing from Mercedes and Wolf and everything is very positive about Ricardo. So I can see that happening. And um, it makes a lot of sense because I think him completely stepping away from Formula One would I, I think that that would I'm already pretty convinced he, it'd be difficult for him to come back but I think if he'd done full sabbatical you know it's like how are you kind of, like you know are you really going to come back and even if he even if the option was there I don't know where the teams would go back to him but this gives him you know experience with a team a top team as well which I'm sure other teams will look at and say well that's going to be valuable for us so um yeah I can see that being announced in Abu Dhabi just you know as a nice send-off uh send-off for him I thought it was interesting last week, Lawrence, you found his performance in Mexico to be a bit frustrating because he finished seventh and he drove an excellent race. What do you make of the decision to be a reserve driver for one of those two teams? Well, he's looking at how he can get back into Formula One in 2024, 2023. It's not going to happen. The options available, he's not interested in. So it's all about how can you work your way back in and the Mercedes one is based on Lewis Hamilton retiring, presumably, because George Russell isn't going anywhere for a long time. And uh, while that is possible, Hamilton's contract is up at the end of next year. He doesn't currently have another one to extend beyond that. He has talked extensively in the last few weeks about how he wants to stay in F1, how he feels that this project with Mercedes to get them back to the front is going to be more than just a single year thing. And he wants to be there to help guide them back to the front and then reap the rewards as well with a potential championship down the line. So the only way I could see that happening is maybe if Mercedes get it completely right next year, Hamilton wins a title, gets his eight, decides actually that is enough, leaves, and then Ricardo comes in that way. Otherwise, I don't really see how it's a path back to, to a Formula 1 seat. Then you look at the other side and uh, and Red Bull and Sergio Perez, well, he's there for, I believe, a, another two years uh, he signed contracts earlier this year to go for another two years beyond this one. So there's no obvious way back in there. But 
you know, it, if you look at, we've talked about this before, I think, you know, the Perez example, the Alonso example, it's amazing how just when it seems like there are no opportunities for a driver to continue in F1, something opens up. And of course, by being at one of those top teams, he's there. Now, my concern about that is that um, the reality of a reserve driver role in modern F1 is that you don't actually get to drive a modern Formula One car, a contemporary Formula One car. The test days are so limited, so valuable that they usually go to uh, to the to the drivers, the two drivers who are going to be racing. Um, opportunities come up with maybe a bit of Pirelli tire testing. They are expected to spend a lot of time in the simulator. Several drivers, certainly of the older generation, don't enjoy doing that. They find it a bit dull. It's not racing, is it? It's like a kind of huge computer game. I mean, a it's just it's, it's just playing it's just playing F one twenty twenty two, isn't it? I thought. In the- yeah, I, I, I think on 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 steroids, like on a on this amazing <laughs> level with the perfect setup. So, I mean, to someone like me or Nate, that sounds great, right? Imagine getting paid to do that. But the reality for someone who has actually done the real thing, raced in real life, not, a not, so, not so exciting. Yeah. And then the other thing, I guess, would be promotional stuff. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of one of Ricardo's selling points. I still think he's a great driver, but always one of his selling points uh, ever since he was in Toro Rosso and made the move up to Red Bull was just what a great personality he is, how he connects with sponsors, mm-hmm. how he connects with people, his fan base that he can bring in. So the teams will look to, to use that, I imagine, wherever he goes. So there might be a lot of YouTube like appearances a lot of appearances in the paddock club and uh, i guess he's got to negotiate a point where he's happy with what he's doing and uh there's still a bit of a carrot at the end of you know a bit of a carrot on a stick to get him to a position where he can actually get back into f1 because that that's what he wants so um yeah it's a shame and i was thinking about this earlier today and you know the mistakes daniel's made in his career and and where it went wrong and arguably leaving red bull but even if it stayed would he have been able to compete with max um, probably not and then i guess maybe even renault was was the big one because if it stayed at renault it would have mm-hmm. been would have been different but it's fascinating when you start going through it and all the different implications it would have had for other drivers as well um you know fernando came back and replaced daniel uh renault which became alpine you know would he have got back into f1 so yeah but D- daniel's gonna be looking at it now and, and kicking himself a bit with some of the decisions he's made i think but um what can you do got to move on got to find a, a future somewhere else has he had and the th- same agent really quickly? Has he had that the same agent all the way through? No, so it's um it's been different. And um that's actually quite an interesting um point in the Ricardo story. So mm-hmm. his old agent um was with him until 2018. So he actually his old agent signed was okay. with him when he signed the Renault deal. And then he moved to CAA the next year and his old agent tried to sue him because he said basically the money, some of the money that was owed to me from that deal didn't come. So, you know, whenever that is involved, you know that you know it's never nice you know in any in any sport so it, it got a bit fraught after that but yeah he's been he's been with CAA since 2019 and I do get the impression that had CAA been in charge of his career before then there's no way he would have left Red Bull even if it, you know but so spoiler alert here I'm putting something together on this for next week I've been t- trying to talk to a few people kind of who've been around this situation and Ricardo's situations for a while but I think that what's interesting about it was he he always wanted parity with Verstappen at Red Bull, but I think if it had been at CAA, they'd have maybe said to him, let's see the long game here. Let's, sure. even if the deal isn't exactly what you want, let's try and see the long, you know, that's what those guys do professionally across all kinds of different sports and stuff like that. So it is fascinating. There's so many sliding doors moments with him. Um, just quickly onto the point of a reserve driver that I think is going to be interesting. We've seen him this year, like arriving on the paddock on a horse and doing, you know, in Mexico, he came in, he had a you know mask on and he always makes these big entrances now, which is fun. But I wonder if Mercedes, if 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 he does go there, will say to him, "Look, we can't have you making a making a 
spectacle isn't making about a you scene anymore. Yeah, like, and I wonder, you know, him just kind of walking. Is he just going to walk in and kind of go in through, you know, through a back entrance somewhere in the paddock? Is he going to like, you know, sneak in unseen? I think it's going to be an. Inter- I think it'll be a bit of a culture shock for him because he is such a you know vibrant personality, and he's gonna. It's you're almost putting yourself into a box a little bit. So from a mental point of view and from a point of view of am i actually enjoying this he might find that it's a lot different to maybe what he thought or maybe it's exactly what he thought it was going to be and he's just like i've got to do it anyway (laughs) because um you know he's basically in this situation because yeah you know his form prompted mclaren to make the decision they made so um yeah i think him staying in f1 is good though ultimately that's the bottom line you know the fact Mm -hmm. if if he can stay in in any way uh, is a good thing so but we'll see what happens so you think abu dhabi is the timeline that will possibly know what's going to happen for his future I think so. I, um, it's usually a good place to announce those kind of things, but it, it seems like that's what has been in their mind the whole time. You know, they want to kind of finish the season. They've always said, let's finish the season off and then we'll decide what we're doing. But that, you, you know, it could be Saturday the Sunday. I haven't heard that specifically, but that's just the vibe I get from from the guys I know. Well, it wouldn't be a normal week in Formula One without Helmet Marco making headlines. And he has done that again because He has pointed the finger claiming that the budget cap breach was leaked prior to Red Bull getting official word that it had fact broken any rules. Uh, I'm curious if you think Red Bull has a leg to stand on here, guys. Um, I I can see where they're coming from because before we knew um, any details about what happened or or before the deadline for when the FI were going to announce who had um, met the budget cap and who hadn't, pretty much everyone in the paddock already knew that Red Bull had breached it in some way or another. And uh, in Singapore, um, I was in that paddock and it became very apparent very quickly that there had been a breach. Um, Mercedes were uh, talking about it. Toto Wolff was talking about it. He didn't name Red Bull. A number of people were quite careful in in how they talked about this. Um, But he did say it was was an open secret that two teams had uh, breached the cap as well breached the financial regulations in some way. One of them had breached the cap in a big way. Uh, Mm. And Ferrari were talking about it as well. So there's all sorts of people talking about it. And, you know, Red Bull throughout this, um, I think uh, quite early on must have realised that they had indeed breached the cap and that they were in for some kind of penalty. And uh, I think a lot of their tactics has has been to play the victim a bit and kind of put themselves forward as uh, the guys that have been hard done by um, the reputational damage of, of, people speculating about how much they'd breached the cap before the real details came out, stuff like that. And so this is what they seem to be continuing to push with. And it's not unlike Helmut Marco uh, to <laughs> set his target on Mercedes and uh, Toto Wolf in particular and uh, and kind of claim that. So, yeah, they're, they're also claiming that uh, Sheila Ann Rao, who was a uh, former legal counsel at Mercedes, moved across to the FIA uh, earlier this year that she, um, uh, who she was then, this is a fact, uh, involved in the budget cap analysis and looking at the teams and also deciding what, to some extent, was included in the budget cap and what wasn't. And so Red Bull are pointing to that and saying, look, isn't this a bit odd that a former employee of Mercedes ended up at the FIA and then was in charge of deciding uh, pretty critical things here in determining who was within the cap and who was who was outside it? So you know, that did all happen. That is the case. And uh, it will be interesting to see where it goes from now, whether it will just be a bit of kind of mudslinging and a few barb quotes here and there, or whether the FIA will have to explain, you know, exactly her role uh, w- w- within the whole process. But um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of standard F1, isn't it? We've got used to this politics <laughs> and uh, it never goes away. Just when you think it's in the back of it, something else pops up. 
yeah, it, I, I think it is very Red Bull to to be throwing things out. I mean, you know, I think one of the quotes that hasn't aged at all well, and people said people pointed out uh, in Austin was was pretty low. Was I think Horner, you know, played the mental health card, didn't he? And he said, you know, some of our kids are being bullied and stuff, and people were pretty annoyed at that when they heard that in the media center. So. When you say that and then you have Helmut Marker coming out, it's a bit like the boy that cried wolf, isn't it? Like you can't mm-hmm. keep saying like quite literally boy that cried wolf in this case, if you spell wolf with two Fs. Um, sorry, that's a terrible joke. It's, it's that he I thought said that was, it. He at least I, owned I up to it. it. I thought that was, I thought it was, I thought it was funny as I said it. And then I was like, actually, that's terrible, but never mind. It's out there now. It's recorded. It's out there. So, um, hopefully that doesn't affect. I'll cut that one out. I think that one, that one, I think will get cut. No, <laughs> leave it in. No, leave it, it in. Has to be left in. in. Leave it in. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I've lost where I was now completely. Um, uh, I'm so curious what... to see how you edit this. Yes, okay. yes, leaving it in. You think I'm leaving it in? Leave you it, have all to in. Leave it well, in. This is all in. Yeah, yeah. Leave, definitely leave the laughter in afterwards. So I think it it becomes difficult to to sympathise with Red Bull because you know if you keep hearing the victim card when it's the reason we're talking about this is again as we've talked about on previous because you before, broke the rules. Yeah, it's like you know. It, I, I I try my best to put myself in a position where I'm like, all right, let's you know, there's two sides. There is two sides to every story, mm-hmm. but it just gets quite old quite quickly when you hear that stuff. And Lawrence is right, you know, it's it's right in the kind of helmet market. I mean, I think pretty pretty sure every weekend I've worked in Formula One, there's been some Marco quote from somewhere, whether it's in German press or Dutch press, and you kind of almost become desensitized to it. You're like, yeah, okay, cool, he said something, and you, you know, you almost ignore them. So, um. Yeah, it's it's a shame that it's it's turned into mudslinging, but it's part of me does think I think to to give Red Bull some to to kind of you know give them some credit here in terms of what they're saying. I think the whole process was really damaged by the fact that everyone knew for so long, because I think that for two three weeks it basically became known that someone had done it, and then it became very known quick very quickly Red Bull had done it, and it was kind of because the FIA really you know didn't communicate or wasn't in a position to communicate things. A lot of people wanted to see X, Y, Z punishment when really, you know, your championships going, et cetera, was never on the cards. And I think they felt that it went on needlessly long. So I'd give them that much. But I think anything beyond that is, is yeah, it, it's just a bit cheap given given the reason we're all talking about it. Sure. But also, this is nothing new. The paddock operates. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that's 100%. how we do yeah, it. Sure. Is that yeah. you'll hear lots of little things being put out. Uh, from an early stage and the first time you hear it you think well okay that's possible and but you have to go and verify it with someone else because you know there, there's lots of rumors that start which are completely untrue and i think people are just trying to put little stories out there and see how far they go but then sometimes it is the case and you know and then this one was the case uh, okay arguably some of the stuff uh toto said about a team breaking it by a big margin was incorrect but mm-hmm. it was uh true that uh two teams had broken the financial regulations mm-hmm. one of them had um broken uh breached the cost cap and so um you know it's one of those things it's like well they you know w- while it maybe that info shouldn't have leaked out in exactly the way it did uh it's such a small paddock so many people go from one place to another place that's not unusual including uh the fia to teams and vice versa usually there's a bit of a more extended gardening leave i think that's another thing that red bull were a bit surprised yeah. at how quickly um uh, the uh, the lawyer went from Mercedes to the FIA, but still, you know, it's um, that that is part of how the paddock works. It's kind of part of what makes it interesting, certainly from our perspective as journalists. Again, great Netflix episodes coming out of this, and oh, yeah. I just and just quickly to round this point off, um, I spoke to two press officers in uh, sorry, two team principals in Austin off record. Um, one whose team is supplied by Mercedes, one who's one who's isn't, and they both said they had no issue with the lawyer, and you know, 
it, it, or at least no issues in terms of what Helmut Marko has suggested. Now that's just two two people, but it's interesting that you know two other people were like, no, it's not an issue. Sure. Um, so yeah, it, it, again, it it seems like the. If every other team in the paddock was saying, well, we didn't breach, but actually, yeah, they've got a point there, you'd think maybe there is some smoke there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it doesn't seem doesn't seem to be the case. Something else that gained a lot of traction online was the Las Vegas launch and promotion weekend. We saw Formula One cars being driven down the strip inside casinos of various hotels, uh, underglow from Formula One cars, it was uh, a scene to say the least as drivers have stayed over in North America between races. So I'm just curious, the optics and the promotion you guys got from Las Vegas, how much they're pumping into this in 2023. I don't know if you guys have seen ticket prices. They're outrageous. I thought Miami's ticket prices were outrageous. This is on a different level. I'm just curious your thoughts. And I know you guys love Brazil. Are you excited? Are you going to love Las Vegas come this time next year? The expectations are yeah. set so unbelievably high. I mean, oh, this no. is this is a difficult thing. Is that <laughs> I don't remember a new race having a kind of launch event a year out before. We've had like the odd launch event here or there, or you know, yeah, kind of fairly true. understated things. But to get some of the biggest names in the sport driving cars at the venue a year in advance is is, is something else, you know. So. Uh, there's that. And then, I mean, there's various different ticket prices I've seen going around. I think, um, you know, you can up to 12900 for VIP hospitality. I think 10000 for a Skybox. I'm not entirely sure what a Skybox is or where mm. it will be, but for one of those, it's ten grand per person. You get to hang out um, with Ted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yes. uh, he might, yeah, he might be... not be allowed to do the coverage by then. Who knows? Yeah, it won't be many takers from Red Bull. Um, but uh, general admission, and this is the one which uh, Nate and I pulled out earlier this week and we were talking about, um, the price I saw was $778 for your general admission ticket. That's already very expensive. Most places in the world, general admission, I mean, $250 would be probably the going rate, but you can certainly get much cheaper races. Uh, and then it comes with the caveat, track visibility uncertain. So $778 spent, will you actually get to see an F1 car? it's not not guaranteed um it could mean that perhaps the exact amount of visibility is uncertain you might just get a little a little section of track rather than a proper few corners which is what you might expect when you spend 778 dollars on a ticket but um yeah it's uh it's interesting and it'll be very interesting to see who goes uh the kind of type of people that are able to afford Mm -hmm. those tickets uh whether they're real fans whether that really matters and whether it's as much about going there to be seen to be there to enjoy everything that I'm sure will go on around the race weekend as well, as much as uh, as the racing itself. But, you know, we, we, we can poke fun at these ticket prices and all this kind of stuff, but they sold out pretty much immediately. So the demand is there. And, um, you know, and that's why I'm just like slightly concerned because this expectation is so high. All these people going there, I don't really know quite what they're expecting, but sometimes <laughs> people, when they first go to a race, uh, they expect to see maybe the whole track and have a really kind of, overarching view of what's going on in a race and sometimes you can be stood by a racetrack and have less of a clue what's going on than if you'd sat at home and watched on your tv but anyway i'm sure it will be uh a race unlike any other uh for whatever reason that may be and it would be <laughs> something to experience either way <laughs> on the um on the casino thing i hope they told the people who were gambling at that time there was going to be an f1 car coming through because if i'd had a few to drink and i was, I was at vegas if i saw that i'd be like 
Now, that's probably a sign to either keep gambling or to just go home and never do it again because I'm clearly I'm clearly too far in. Um, but I agree with Lawrence. I mean, I'm a bit. I go through I go through phases with Vegas where sometimes I'm really excited about it because I mean you know we'll, we'll get to go and we'll get to experience the whole thing. But there's been a lot of races this year that have been established races and they've been from a fan enjoyment perspective mm-hmm. have been a bit of a mess. You know there've been a lot of fans who've come away from events all over the place. You know Monza and Austria and all sorts of places for different reasons not having the best time. You know, a lot of circuits have been trying to just cram as many people in as they can, you know, safely. There's never been a there's never been a, a concern of a dangerous amounts of people in. There's been so many people in that the infrastructure of those circuits can't deal with them. Now, Vegas obviously is different as it's a city, but you mm-hmm. one of the things that happened in Miami, which a lot of people took kind of a bit of glee in, it's a bit like the Fire Festival kind of documentary where all the rich people are complaining that they had a bad time and everyone's like, Well, that's brilliant. But one thing that happened in Miami across the board with VIPs was people were paying these kind of prices for tickets you know influencers and celebrities and stuff and from what i understand in one of the places they were basically sat all in on a flat surface in rows of chairs so if you if you were anywhere but the front row you could all you could see was you know the back of the person's head in front of you now if you're cramming out you know hotel balconies and stuff like that i don't know what visibility is going to be like if you're paying that amount of money i'm sure it will look breathtaking for a while but that wears off, you know, even even as great as Formula One is that I think you might do it once and be like, oh, that everything I think what F1's banking on is that everything around it is going to be so good. People are going to be like, you can't ever miss the Vegas Grand Prix like that weekend has become an event in my calendar that I'm never going to go back to. But I just don't think this is ever going to be a race for an ordinary F1 fan. And that's a bit of a shame, but you can't. I suppose that's what they've always it's always looked like it's going to be the case. Um, and from a car perspective, I think neon lights at the bottom of a car looked amazing. Um it's a yeah. bit like when they put the sparks back in cars, like immediately you just thought this, yeah, that, that should have always been on them or, or, you know, the sparks was a little bit different, but, um, but yeah, so I think visually it's going to be amazing, but jury's very much out, I think on, on how good it will be. Lawrence, yeah. what did you say? The terminology was visibility, questionable visibility, unknown. Uh, let me double check. Uh, I think uh, I, the track visibility uncertain. <laughs> that's even that's even more you should be able to sell a ticket that with yeah. visibility uncertain because yeah. that could I, be I... that could be anything like you said lawrence of like it could be oh you get a flash of a car come past you but there are some circuits where you know uh i remember my dad and i went to monza in 2006 and we were at the parabolica we had general admission tickets we found great seats we kept walking around but there's one point at the parabolica where all you could see was between two trees and you'd get a flash and the only way you'd know which car it was because of the color and if, but you knew which one was Michael in in the Ferrari because he was the one miles out in front. And then there'd be another red one that followed, you know, twenty seconds later. But I remember thinking there were people that were just camped there the whole race. So there might be views like that in Vegas, where literally you're just seeing and hearing cars go by without really knowing what's going on, and that's not really worth that money. Um, unless I mean, people are spending it, so I guess they feel like it might be worth the risk. And the, the other thing is, if you look at Monaco, um, it's actually fairly similar. You know, people spend a lot of money and it's not necessarily to watch the race, like know the ins and outs of tyre strategies and perhaps even know the driver's names. It's there to have fun. So a lot of those yachts um, that uh, that line part of the circuit, uh, a bunch of them are moved back on on race day and qualifying day for safety reasons. And actually, 
once they're back there, you don't have a, a brilliant view, but that's kind of not the point. You're not going no. there, you know, to see the cars. And then equally, the general admission uh, section at Monaco is is up on a hill uh, that goes up to the palace. And um, it's a very steep hill. Uh, I'm not quite sure how they managed to sell tickets for people just to sit there. And there's no seats. You're kind of stood on, on this banking. And often I've seen people end up behind trees and stuff like that, again, with no real visibility of the track you only really get to see um a corner anyway from from a long way away so uh you know we, we can kind of um criticize vegas to some extent but it does kind of already exist that type of race that style of race yeah. with monaco and i think as long as we only have one or two or three of these races a year it's perfectly fine i think it adds to everything that formula one is and um yeah when you've got 24 races a year maybe 23 next year but 24 is what's scheduled um to have two three races where it really is a vip event you build all this hype around it uh, and then people can still enjoy it and watch it from tv uh you know watch it on tv uh i, I think that's that's perfectly fine for a, for a sport like formula one not a lot of trees in las vegas just gonna throw yeah. that out there plenty of <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's true yeah <laughs> climbing that hotels race, maybe instead yeah climbing hotels, hotels a lot yeah. uh that race a year away. We've got a race, obviously, upcoming this weekend. So let's hit it. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. The Brazil Grand Prix looks amazing from my vantage point on television. Nate, you were on the ground a year ago. What was the experience like? Yeah, I, Brazil last year was amazing. I'd say, I mean, it would, it would take some topping. I think if, if you know, whenever I come to stop covering Formula One as a journalist, I think that race is going to be one of the most memorable I covered um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, it was at that point in the season when we actually thought Verstappen was going to kind of run away with the championship. You know, I think it was four races left then. Uh, and it was the start of like, the you know, Lewis's fight back. But it was that brilliant weekend when uh, Lewis qualified pole, then he got disqualified because there was a discrep- discrepancy with his DRS. If people listening remember there was a video of Max Verstappen touching the back of Lewis's rear wing, which, you know, and then he was, you know, the FI looked into that and that, happened on the friday evening as i remember when we came in on saturday we we were like is is max getting a grid penalty for touching another car like that doesn't sound and then red yeah and then it 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 just was crazy all weekend i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly it went lewis from 20th to 10th in the sprint race or fifth in the sprint race he had another grid penalty took him back to 10th and then the race he caught and passed max and they had that moment when they nearly collided and and everything like that but one thing that really stood out for me actually was just 
the paddock in Brazil is kind of small. It's one of the, it's quite a memorable paddock. You have to kind of go up these stairs and you kind of, you know, walk around a bit and then you get there. And by the time I'd always get there, you'd talk to somebody at Red Bull, somebody at Mercedes about all these things happening. And it's the first time in any race where whenever I spoke to anybody at one of those teams, the first thing they would say without fail, it was amazing because it showed you the point of the season they were at was they'd be like, have you seen, have you heard what, what Mercedes are doing? Or have you heard what Red Bull are doing? It's like, oh, you'll never guess. Like last night, these guys, they packed up and left. It's like, I didn't ask about Red Bull. I asked about you guys, but they were so, you could tell, like, they were so paranoid. And it, it just added to the, you know, the tension and, the, and, and mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was just, <clears throat> just fantastic. And I remember the noise of, um, to where we sit, you kind of get this, you're in a kind of a weird place. Lawrence will, Lawrence will know, um, <laughs> like the Sao Paulo press, press box is a weird old place, but you do hear quite a bit of the noise. And when Lewis got past Max, it was it was really loud. I remember I was surprised at how how crazy they went. Obviously, this this week he was made honorary citizen, but you would have thought a Brazilian driver had just won the world championship. Then you know clearly all uh, cheering for him. So everything about it was great, and I think that's probably one of Lewis's best performances as well. And it kind of kickstarted the championship, which was great for the you know the finale that we got. Um, but yeah, just a great place to to race. And I think that Lawrence and I have spoken about it before, but Brazil <clears throat> to me. <clears throat> So I'm going to, uh, hang on. Do you need <laughs> some tea? No, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. I just, you know, when you're like, I, I can just talk through it. Tea and milk? Honestly. Yeah, I might need some, I might need some tea. Actually, Dave, since, since Austin, I've been having so much tea because Dave would always go and I'll, I'll go get, I'll go get a cup of tea and I've been drinking loads. Um, I'll just, I'll just go again. Um, I think the great thing with Brazil was that. Keeping it, all of this in. Yeah, do it, do. do it. Do it. Do it. Why not? Um. <laughs> great thing with brazil is that it's um historically going back at great circuit but it always it was always a consequential race you know growing up brazil was always one of those races that was either the penultimate race sometimes it was the final race so i think for a lot of fans that grew up watching it in the 90s and the early 2000s it it had that resonance to it as well and always kind of produces uh pretty entertaining races so i love the place i think it's superb and i've been there for two really great events not so great for max because the first one i went to was when he was hit by Ocon, who he was lapping at the time, and then he went and pushed Ocon after the race. So <laughs> I've not seen I've not seen it from the best perspective from you know from Verstappen's point of view. Um yeah, incredible place. Excited uh that F one's going back there, obviously. Um and I think it's gonna be I, I always feel like you can never predict a boring race in Brazil because it always feels like something is just like a second away from happening, which is unique. I'm not sure exactly what it is about the circuit, but it just always seems to produce the goods. So hopefully more of the same this weekend. Well, it starts at the very beginning of the weekend. I'm glad you mentioned that it's a sprint race weekend. So qualifying is on Friday. Lawrence, just for those listening, could you quickly just explain what is a sprint race? Why do we do it? So why do we do it is actually an interesting question, but I'll start with just what it is because that's fairly straightforward. So a normal race weekend, you'll have three practice sessions, two on a Friday, one on a Saturday morning, qualifying Saturday afternoon, race on Sunday. For a sprint weekend, you have one practice session straight into qualifying, the kind of usual Q1, Q2, Q3, who sets the fastest lap format. But rather than that setting the grid for the race, it sets the grid for the sprint race, which happens on Saturday afternoon after another practice session. And that sprint race then sets the position, uh, sets the positions for the grid for the race. Um, and it also hands out points. So last year it was just for the top three. Now it's for the top eight. And so uh, there's this added uh, importance. But because it is a sprint race, it is uh, one third of a distance of a normal Grand Prix. 
And so it's quite different in the way teams approach it. Sometimes if you're happy in your group position, you'll just try and make a good start and you won't be too worried about making a huge amount of progress. If you're in Lewis Hamilton's position last year in Brazil, where you've been sent to the back of the grid, then you're doing everything you possibly can to make up as many group positions as possible. Um, the way that tyre strategy works is entirely different. Of course, usually we're looking at how many times can drivers stop in a race or how many times they need to stop to get to the end of the race. What's the quickest way to do it? In a sprint race, the drivers won't make a pit stop unless something goes wrong. So they start on a set of tyres and they make it last um, the full distance of that sprint. Uh, sometimes they're very exciting, like the one in Brazil last year. Sometimes they just feel like a bit of a procession and a bit of a kind of box ticking exercise just to get to the race <laughs> on Sunday. Um, another way to look at it is that it's an extended version of the race, but you just have an overnight stop. So you do, you know, um, a third of the race first, then you, everyone goes to sleep, thinks about it for a bit, and they come back and they go again. Very long, so, long pit stops in the yeah. Okay, exactly. um, so there's um, it, it's it's an interesting one, and and why why do why does F1 have it? Well, F1 was worried that the format. Of, of racing is the same for every race in the year, or at least it used to be. And they felt that it was important to try new things and see what would work. Originally, they wanted a reverse grid race. So you would set the grid for a sprint race based on perhaps reverse championship order um, and then just let the carnage ensue. Well, a number of teams felt, you know what, that's taken it too far. You're, you're messing too much with what makes Formula One what it is. And uh, it's becoming too much, there's too much of a random element going on. And so that got canned. And then they came up with the current sprint race format. Um, There's only three races this year. It was originally meant to be six, but they couldn't decide on that. And next year, there will be six sprint races. Um, so, yeah, it, it is what it is. Uh, people, it divides people hugely. So some fans seem to really hate it and are very vocal about it. Um, but one way to look at it, if you're not sure about, uh, the format is that instead of having a Friday full of practice where nothing really consequential happens, mm -hmm. you now have a qualifying event to watch on Friday. And then on Saturday, uh, you have the addition of a race, um, you know, in there as well. And then you still have your Grand Prix on Sunday. So it's more interesting action over a race weekend. So that's the way I kind of tend to view it. And I think to have it every now and again, you wouldn't want it every race because a sprint race around Monaco really would be dull because it's so <laughs> difficult to overtake. But somewhere like Interlagos, it's possible to overtake. I'm surprised they haven't done one at Spa, you know, somewhere where you can overtake. So, um, yeah, I think next year we'll be able to see the races they pick and then also how successful they are and also whether there's any tweaks along the way they can make to make them uh, perhaps a little bit more exciting and encourage overtaking. You mentioned that fans are split on it. Nate, how do drivers and teams view it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, there were some quotes from from Max himself, you know, who who you would think would stand to to benefit from a sprint mm -hmm. race, but he said he he's not really a fan of them because you know if he qualifies first for the sprint race, his real goal is just to get to the end of the race in one piece. So he's not going to take any risks. It's just kind of managing the car. And Lawrence is right. You know some sprint races have been great, but I think that the key for a great sprint race, sadly, is a quick car qualifying out of position. You know, coming through the field or you know something happening in qualifying that mixes the grid up a bit. Because otherwise, everyone's already kind of in their positions anyway. There's no difference with tires and stuff like that. So I think one thing that has you know, Formula One, I think, loves it from the engagement point of view. It does seem like a lot of newer fans like the sprint races, which is interesting. I think I like the fact there's more jeopardy over a race weekend. So, you know, I tend to agree with with that side of it. Um, I think if they can if they can maybe shorten the sprint race a little bit from what it is currently, that might make it better. Um, but yeah, I think overall, drivers like there's something different on. 
Um, but I think that a lot of them, especially the more of them we do, it seems like a lot of drivers are like, yeah, these sprint races are actually very similar. You know, we have maybe an entertaining two laps and then I just sit, you know, <laughs> looking at the car in front of me for, you know, the next 10 laps or whatever it is. Um, so I think they're split as well. But I think ultimately, you know, it's it, before we just had 23 or 21, 22, whatever, exactly the same weekend format. So not wrong to complain too much about it. And I, I, I've always liked the F1, went ahead with it, pushed ahead with it, mm-hmm. did their research, you know, thought what's going to work, what isn't going to work. Uh, and then improved it and i think circuits prefer it as well if at some places because as lawrence mentioned you can get fans in the door for an extra day uh, and say look qualifying on friday and then race saturday uh, and a race on sunday so i think some circuits are going to find that it's something they're actually going to be asking for in a few years especially as we start you know seeing places like vegas that can just (laughs) throw money at f1 to host a race a few other circuits are going to be like well we need to you know we need to get more people in across the weekend so um yeah i think it's a good thing but yeah i think six Six is my limit as well. I don't want any more than that. I was uh, checking the Apple weather app on my phone. Uh, it looks less than ideal this weekend. I'm just curious if bad weather, it's just going to make it messy regardless, or as it pertains to this racetrack in particular, Lawrence, is it going to be problematic? Well, talk about favorite races in Brazil. So one of my favorite races I've ever covered as a journalist was 2012 Brazil, a title decider, Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel going for the title, believe it or not, that's how it was back then. Um, Fernando in an underperforming Ferrari, uh, Sebastian Vettel in a very fast, all-conquering Red Bull. And um, just before the race, it started to rain and it started damp and wet. And Sebastian Vettel was spun round, I think, turn, what would we turn four, um, hit by Bruno Senna, nephew of Ayrton Senna, who was racing in F1 at the time, and then had to limp round with uh, half a car or half a side pod hanging off and the exhaust all exposed and stuff like that. So it can make thrilling racing. Of course, it's a lot more exciting when you've got a title on the line there, but um, it, it does make for great racing there, having a bit of rain in the air. And it's very, very unpredictable, you know, um, mm-hmm. from where Interlagos is, where Interlagos literally means between two lakes, but it's also up on a hill. And um, as you look out from the paddock, the press room, you get a good view over part of the city um, and you can see rain clouds forming and coming in. And the amount of times I've sat in actually the old Sao Paulo press room, which used to be above the pit straight, uh, we had a great view of uh, of everything and you could see clouds forming on the horizon. You're like, just come here, just come over because <laughs> occasionally there had been dull races at, uh, in Sao Paulo. And you're just like, just kind of come a little bit closer to the track and we could have, you know, a, a brilliant race. So sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But as far as I'm concerned, a mixed forecast or a forecast with with rain in it is is a very good thing around uh, Brazil. So um, that would be good. And, and otherwise, I do kind of feel that in the dry and normal conditions, we talked about nine Red Bull wins in a row and uh, however many Max is on now uh, since Perez won in Singapore, I could see it being another another Max win otherwise. So, um, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll get something exciting and something mixed up. A lovely transition by you, Lawrence. You say it could be unpredictable with the weather. You also mentioned that Red Bull has won nine straight races. Therefore, that leads us to our predictions. Who would like to start? I'll leave it up to the two of you. I'll jump straight in. I don't mind. I don't mind going first. I'm right, going to predict. Writing it down. Hold on. Ready. Go. Okay. Uh, I I think my record recently has been okay. I'm going to say it's a win for the local hero, the homegrown ish 
the new local um sorry honorary <laughs> honorary citizen lewis hamilton i feel like i, I just feel like there's no way we're going to get through the season without him winning i know in normal circumstances max is probably going to win but with everything we've mentioned the fact it's brazil the fact that um this was kind of the, the you know the place where that i mean i think last year he even said you know the fans kind of gave him that extra edge i think he'll yeah he'll get that lift again and yeah so i'm going to say lewis wins I think okay. I'm only saying I'm, I, I'm sure there'll be Max fans listening, thinking I'm saying Max off the podium because I hate I, I hate Max for happened. It's not the case. We just want something different. So I'm going to say Lewis. I'm going to say Russell. So Mercedes one two. Wow, one two. And why don't we put Danny Rick up there? You know, Danny Rick. He he came back in Mexico pretty strong. Some stuff's going to happen. There's going to be some rain. Going to be some carnage. Uh, maybe that would make it even more frustrating. Just going to throw that out there. But I'm writing it, it down. Yeah. Your choice. That definitely, that definitely would. That definitely that that would be like, man, like flip the season on its head. You know, if this mm-hmm. had been the start of the season, there's no way he leaves. But yeah, I, I feel like the third one is going to let me down out of any of those three. But we'll see what happens. All right, Lawrence, what say you? Well, because Nate's gone for such an exciting <laughs> one, I'm going to try and go for a relatively realistic <laughs> one. And I know for ages we said we can't choose Max number one, but I. I just cannot see it. it it's a track yeah. that should actually suit the Red Bull as well. So uh, Max Verstappen, number one, Sergio Perez, number two. Okay. And to be completely different as a top three from Nate, I'll go for Charles Leclerc, number three, because Ferrari shouldn't have the same problems they had in Mexico in Interlagos. But um, I actually think Mercedes will be relatively competitive despite not putting someone on the top three there. But yeah, I'm going to go for the realistic podium. Nate's going for the great podium. <laughs> but I feel, like, I feel like right. it's a, heart it's a versus effort. head. You know, we yeah. work together. Um, ESPN needs yeah. to have an F1 journalist for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. So one of us has to be sensible and call Max. Otherwise, <laughs> if, if, if neither of us do any wins by, you know, 30 seconds. I think Lawrence and I will be called in to see the boss on Monday. <laughs> like, what's going on here? So, that's sense. You mentioned Leclerc on the podium. Didn't Mattia Bonotto have an interesting quote <laughs> during the summer break about possibly winning out? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah said there's no, no, no reason. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think it was after France because uh, that was the race where Leclerc um, put it in the barriers while leading, and. Okay. At that point, I think everyone, um, including Leclerc himself, realised that the championship was probably over. And Benotto came out after the race and said, well, there's absolutely no reason on this form why we can't go and win every race remaining. Uh, of course, Red Bull have won every race from that point onwards. So, yeah, it's um, that's that's one of those unfortunate quotes which kind of gets caught on the on the wrong side of history. You can kind of see what he meant that... that um, the car was quick enough up to that point to win races. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was before they had changed the the slight tweak around what you could do with the floor, which seemed to impact Ferrari more than Red Bull. So, yeah, it it kind of felt like no one ever really thought they were going to go and do that. But in, theoretically, they perhaps could because the car was quick enough. But of course, they didn't even come close. But you know, Bonotto's going to say, "Hey guys, you never you never criticize Mercedes for saying they're going to win the remaining ten races of a season." <laughs> Even if they haven't done or not, that would be Bonotto's line. Like, come on, guys. And Science will say it, and then Leclerc will say it as well. So um, they got but, their talking yeah. points clearly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's just everyone's out to get them. That's what it is. It's not. It's nothing else. All right. Well, I hope you both enjoy the weekend at home. We can't wait to see your coverage and analysis uh, throughout the entirety of the weekend. Thank you both, as always, for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening, watching. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube. Like the video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. 
And if you're listening, be sure to hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out. We appreciate it. Enjoy your weekend. Cheers. Cheers.